Great to see everyone here today on this gorgeous weekend that we have been given. Um, a couple months ago, I was in a very long line, stuck in a very long line uh, at LAX airport. Uh, now, there were two lines. There was the very, very long, hour-long, weave-back-and-forth line, and there was the non-existent, step-right-up, walk-right-through, non-line. And there were options of which line you got in. I don't travel as much as I used to. I don't travel uh, as much as many of you travel. I normally carry enough miles or points or status or whatever to not end up in the long, winding, never-get-there line. But this was different. They, this wasn't a, a line for everyone, and then if you had premier status or something, you got to go into the shorter line. This was a line, and I kept looking at it, and it said you were an airline personnel or you had a global access card. And I didn't know what that was. I just know that I had decided a little while ago not to get that, and um, I didn't have one. So I got into the other line, and for an hour and ten minutes, weaving my way back and forth, thinking I might miss my flight, all the while looking at this very strategically placed advertisement that said, want to be in this line? <laughs> Go to www whatever. So I began uh, that process and uh, had to jump through lots of hoops and you pay something and birth certificates and then you got to go eventually to uh, meet with a U.S. customs agent and go through an interview. But um, I did and despite what you might think of me, I passed and I now have my global entry card. And I'm flying tomorrow. I'm headed down to Texas for a, a conference related to men's fraternity. I'll let you know how it works. But uh, I'm coming back to this. I just set that there. Um, and I will say this. We are after a different card. We're after different access. We're after the forgiven, uh, live eternally, well done, good and faithful servant, stamp, card, endorsement, right? Redeemed, reconciled, that's the card that we're after. And we're going to think about that today as we return to this passage that we were at last week. Uh, as has already been mentioned, we looked at Luke 3, 21 and following last week. We're going back there for different reasons today. It's a pivotal passage John the Baptist has come out of the desert, he's gone to the Jordan River, he's calling people to get ready, right? Repent and be baptized. The message essentially is a new day is about to dawn, God is going to do very different things, and you are not ready. You're in the wrong line, and you need to get in the right line. And uh, he's, a, he's got lots of status at this point. He's a rock star. Big crowds are turning out. So many people are lining up to hear John the Baptist as he speaks that some have gone to him and say, are you the one we're waiting for? Should we worship you? Are you the Messiah? And John has been very clear. Nope, just a warm-up act. Not a very good one at that. Not worthy to untie the shoelaces of the one who is following. The headliner is just about here. Get ready. And then... On the day that is described by this passage that we're looking at today, Luke chapter 3, on that day, 
Uh, Jesus himself is among those who turn out, walk down to the Jordan River, wade in to be baptized by John the Baptist. You've heard the passage read. We're going to watch um, about a three-minute film clip from the, um, the Bible story that came out uh, a few months ago on this particular passage. by God to set them free. Then you need to keep an eye on your Messiah. is right. All four Gospels record this scene in various ways and from different perspectives. In John's Gospel, so this is John the Apostle, not to be confused with John the Baptist. In John's Gospel, it says, The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Okay, it's referring to the fact that Jesus was born after John, but he preceded John. John's life begins at his conception. Jesus is God, has existed from eternity past. 
So he's greater than John. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, and John, uh, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they report this specific event, not John and not uh, this film clip that we saw, go on to describe that then the heavens part, a voice from the Father says, this is my son, uh, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased, and then the Spirit of God descends upon him. It's a it's a very important passage. It is just full of significant theological moments here. Uh, this is one of the reasons why there's so much art that has been done to try and capture this moment. And you can see just a few of the hundreds of, um, of pictures that we have of this particular moment. Um, I want us to focus today on the baptism of Jesus and its implications for us. Before we go there, let me just point out a couple things about this passage. First of all, it is making it clear, it is reminding us that God exists eternally as one God in three persons. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, we see them all on display here in this passage and this is something we affirm. The second article in our statement of faith reads, We believe that there is one God, the creator and preserver of all things, infinite in being and perfection. He exists eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are one substance and equal in power and glory. We are monotheists. That is, we believe there is one God. We are Trinitarian. We believe that he exists in three persons. This is important because we want to know God more completely. In order for that to happen, we need to know more about him. All that we know about God is what he has chosen to reveal to us. This is part of his revelation. It's, it's not a, uh, the Trinity is not a quirky little math puzzle that we're trying to solve. And it's not an insignificant theological esoteric point that we're free to dismiss and, and look in other directions while we go about our life living as Unitarians, as many Christians do. Or Bitarians, focusing only on God the Father and God the Son. This is a big deal. I get asked with some frequency, how can I know God more deeply? How can I have a greater experience with God? I want, I want to sense God. I want to, I want to grow. I want to be more like Christ. What is it that I need to do for this to sort of come together? I'm waiting. Well, in order to know God more intimately. We need to know everything about him that we can know. We're not trying to learn about God so that um, we can pass a theological quiz, right? Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a rich man boast in his riches. Let not a mighty man boast in his might. Let he who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me. We were created to know 
God. So we want to know as much about him as we can. And just on the margin, let me remind you that the, that the triune nature of the God we worship is a mystery, but it's not irrational. Okay? It's, it's beyond us, but it's not nonsense. It would be nonsense to say God is one God and three gods in the same way at the same time. That would be irrational. It's not irrational to say there's one God, one essence, three persona. Right? So that's a mystery. We don't get, you can't pour the Pacific Ocean into a Starbucks coffee cup. It doesn't fit. You cannot fill a finite mind with complete comprehension of an infinite God. It doesn't work. So... It's beyond us, but we go in that direction as far as we can. We learn as much about God as we can so we can know him better. And additionally, we seek to submit our lives to the direction and and the guidance of the Spirit of God. The the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is a big topic for Luke. More so than Matthew, Mark, and John. Obviously, the focus of Luke's gospel is Jesus. Right? This is a report by Luke to Theophilus. It's, a, it's his report of his investigation into the life, the work, the teachings, and the claims of Jesus of Nazareth. So it's focused on Jesus, but Luke, more than the other gospel writers, talks about the Holy Spirit. He opens his gospel saying that it's the Spirit of God that allows Mary to become pregnant with Jesus, and that it's the Spirit of God that, that speaks to Zechariah, and it's the Spirit of God that fills John the Baptist when he's still in his mother's womb, and it's the Spirit of God that is here descending upon Jesus. And if you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, as I hope you continue to do, as you're reading through that, if you pay attention, you will see that the Spirit leads Jesus into the desert. The Spirit leads Jesus into the next village. And that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, did this. Jesus, rejoicing in the presence of the Spirit, does this. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit, and that is to be the pattern of our life as well. We need to learn to to listen and submit to the Holy Spirit and to give him more of our life. When we come to faith in Christ, right, when we step over that line, when, we, when we, do, we repent of our sin and we're born again, it's a moment that this happens. It might seem like a long process to you, and there can be a lot of process to it. It was a lot of process for me to get me to this point, but there is a moment at which we are forgiven. We are justified. We are adopted into the family of God. At that moment, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to indwell us. And he will not fight us for control of our life, but as we yield our life, as we submit to him, he guides and directs us and provides comfort to us. And that's part of the process. And we see the Holy Spirit present here, empowering, and we're going to see the Holy Spirit next leading Jesus. Um, the other thing that's going on here before we turn to the baptism of Christ, the other thing that's going on here that I want to be sure you, you pick up on is a minor point to some, but it says that uh, God the Father was pleased with uh, Jesus 
And I just want to note that he's pleased with Jesus before Jesus does any of the things that we tend to focus on. Okay, he hasn't taught with authority. He hasn't multiplied food. He hasn't healed the sick. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't died on the cross. He has been working as a carpenter and just faithfully fulfilling his obligations under the law. That's what he's been doing, and and God says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And I highlight this because there are some people who... um, there are some people who think that work is, is a bad thing. That work is all because of sin and the fall and the curse. And that's just not the case. We were created to work. We were created to do good works. Work was happening before the fall. We will work in heaven. Right? I mean, the, the descriptions we get of the Bible, one of the, the, the descriptions of heaven is it's a city full of activity. There's a lot going on. And it's also described as a banquet, as a big party. It's never described as a cloud where you sit around and play a harp and do nothing. Okay? We, we were created to do good works. And, and I'm thinking particularly about this because this fall for, for the Friday morning men's fraternity stuff, we're going to look at calling and vocation and gifts and passions and alignment and all of those issues because work is a good thing and not just full-time Christian ministry work. Right? A lot of people think, well, you know, if, if, you really, if you really love God, then you've got to be in full-time ministry because that's what God is interested in. No. Men and women, God is not particularly interested in religious things. God is not particularly interested in what happens on Sunday morning as opposed to Monday afternoon or Thursday night. Everything, everywhere matters to God. Every job matters to God. Your job matters to God. Everything matters to him. And we are to do our work. Whatever we do, we are to do our work as unto the Lord. Right? For it is him that we are ultimately working for. He's the one that we ultimately seek a reward from. Well, there's, um, there's a fair bit in this passage. As I said, I want to focus on this idea of baptism and uh, the fact that Jesus was baptized and the implications of that act for us. And let me just, um, let me just go on record here and say that um, my intention is to do everything I can to get those of you who have not been baptized to sign up to be baptized. So... Uh, This passage is my last best chance between now and August 11th when we are having our baptism. And so uh, it's a full court press. I don't know who you are. Um, If I knew who you are, uh, if I knew who you were, I'd I'd single you out in the the lobby. And I'd I'd turn your arm and I'd say, come on, it's time. You need to to take this step. I don't know that. So I'm not going to single you out. But I am going to to point out that um, part of of experiencing God, part of that grows out of being yielded to the Holy Spirit, and part of it grows out of greater obedience. And one of the things that we are called to do is to be baptized. 
Right? It, is, it is Christ's example and it is his command. Um, a couple weeks ago, about 10 o'clock at night, maybe even a little later, Sherry, um, I'm getting ready to go to bed, and Sherry comes down stairs, and she's, uh, she's got athletic clothes on. She's putting on tennis shoes, and I, I said, what are, you, what are you doing? She goes, I'm going for a jog. I said, you're going for a jog. It's 10 at night. It's dark. And, oh, by the way, you don't jog. We've been married, you know, 25 going closer to 30 years. I've, I jog. I try to get you to jog. For years I've tried to get you to jog. You don't jog. And she said, well, technically I'm probably not going for a jog. But she then said, Amy uh, just texted me. Amy's our neighbor. And Amy was past her uh, due date, her delivery date. So she's more than nine months pregnant. She goes, Amy just texted me. She says, I've prayed to go into labor. I've eaten spicy Italian food to go into labor. I've done everything I can think of to go into labor. I want to go for a jog, in parentheses. You know, are you, uh, are you home? Will you go for a jog with me? So it's a brisk walk, not a jog, as it turns out. But Sherry says to me, look, when a woman who is more than nine months pregnant asks you to do something, the answer is always yes. Well, I would just say to you, when the creator of everything everywhere, who, oh, by the way, died for you, takes upon himself the punishment of your sin, when he says, do this, the answer would be, of course, I will do this, right, right away. And that's the situation that we're in. Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but he was, right? Do you ever think about that? John's baptism is a baptism for the repentance of sin. Jesus has no sin. Hebrews 4 tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are, but he's without sin. 1 Peter 1 says that he was perfect like a lamb without a blemish. At one point, he faces his critics and he says, which of you accuses me of any sin? Please name it. They're silent. When Pilate finishes cross-examining Christ for a second time, he says to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. Jesus is without sin, and yet he submits to baptism. Why would Jesus be baptized? Well, there's a uh, a lot of ink spilled on this question. And from the theologians over 2,000 years, a couple, a couple ideas have come front and center. One of them is that Jesus was doing absolutely everything to identify with us in order to die in our place. He's perfectly fulfilling the law, the Mosaic law, Additionally, this isn't part of the Mosaic Law, right? Being baptized was a new expectation. But because it was now going to be an expectation for us, Jesus does this as well. In every way, he's doing everything that he expects us to do. He's showing us what that looks like. He was baptized. He sets in motion the whole baptismal event to fulfill every aspect of the law, and to be an example to us for what we are expected to do. 
Now, there are other arguments. Some say he's endorsing, he's being baptized to endorse the ministry of John the Baptist. Others say there's some sort of royal anointing that's going on at this moment, perhaps. What's clear is Jesus begins his earthly ministry, right? Because this is, this is day one. He is being baptized. He is going to begin. He's going to walk out into the desert and, and be tempted for 40 days. He is then going to begin preaching and teaching. This is the beginning. He begins his ministry by being baptized. And the last thing that happens before he ascends into heaven. Okay, so after his life, after his death, after his resurrection, after 40 days of teaching everyone what's going on, before he ascends into heaven, he says to his followers, go and make disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Okay? Part of what he has commanded is that we would be baptized. Now, when it comes to baptism, there are things that everybody agrees on, and then there are some things where it's not so clear. Under the, this is the category that everybody agrees on, Everybody agrees that Jesus was baptized and that he commissions baptism. And furthermore, that the symbolism is twofold. It shows that we're being washed of our sin. And it also, Romans 6, shows that we are identifying with Christ in his death as we go under the water and in his resurrection as we come back out of the water. The areas of disagreement begin with the question, what exactly happens when we're baptized? And here we have three positions. On one end, we have those who say, when we're baptized, we are making a public identification with Christ, and it is a symbolic act. It's an act of obedience, but nothing happens. Nothing spiritual or mystical happens. At this end of the spectrum are those that say, you're not a Christian until you're baptized. Right? Baptism is the act that makes you a Christian. In the middle is a camp that says, um, when we are baptized, we are making a public identification with Christ, and something happens. There, it's a mystery. Very much like, uh, there's a lot of theological mysteries. Very much like we cannot fully comprehend the nature of God. We cannot fully comprehend everything God is doing. Something happens. Those that are in this camp and this camp refer to baptism as a sacrament. It's a sacred act. Those who are in the camp that say nothing really mysterious happens refer to it as an ordinance. Okay, we would be in, in this camp. We would say something's happening. It's not when you become a Christian. Right? You, you, you don't become a Christian by the act of baptism. The water doesn't wash away your sins. You become a Christian when you repent and put your trust in Christ. That's the moment you step over the line. You are then baptized in the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by the Spirit of God. But having said that, having said that you don't have to be baptized to be a Christian, I always go back and point out there is, other than the thief on the cross who asks Jesus while he's nailed to the cross, please remember me when you come into your kingdom, and he says, this day you'll be with me in glory. Other than that person, we don't have any New Testament examples of a Christ follower who's not baptized. It happens. It's just a, it's what you do. It's one of the first steps. So we would be in this camp and say, baptism is a sacred act. Now, 
Second question is, um, well, who can baptize? Can anybody baptize somebody, or does it have to be somebody who is ordained? And if they have to be ordained, what, what church has to ordain them for us to recognize that baptism? Okay, this is the first of a handful of questions that I put in the um, give me a break category. The life is too short for me to be in this conversation with you category. People need to hear about Christ. Children are starving. There's injustice in the world. We need to focus on other things, not this. Who can baptize? You know, when we look at this book, it would suggest pretty much anybody can baptize. Does it make sense if you have the option of being baptized by somebody who has been sort of called into ministry and set aside by the church to study God's word and to pray and and to be called to that ministry that you would have them involved? Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, just like if if I'm not feeling well and there's a doctor around, that's probably the person I'm going to go ask as opposed to somebody else. But can anybody baptize somebody? I don't know why not. And in terms of this question here, well, if they've got to be ordained, who has to ordain them or credential them? I would say (laughs) we, we don't even have a category. We don't even have vocabulary to answer that question, right? There is one church, God's church, universal church. Christ is the head of this church. The true church made up of everyone who has put their faith in Christ. There are lots of congregations. We're one of them. And we're fans of every congregation that is trying to proclaim the good news and engage in good works. So we don't even know, I don't even know how to answer that question. There's another equally important question. How much water has to be used for the baptism to count? (laughs) Sprinkled, dipped, or dunked? (laughs) Look, the word baptized in the Greek suggests dunk. If you can be dunked, I would recommend it. But I remember talking with a guy who... uh, who had been in prison in another country for preaching the gospel. While he's in prison, he's leading other people to Christ. He says, and and he goes, we would have baptism services in in the jail. And I go, really, how did you pull that off? I mean, it's illegal to be a Christian. You know, where did you get the water? And he goes, well, you know, I just saved a little bit of my water from lunch. And he says, and I would just baptize them with that. Right? So is the right response to say, well, that doesn't count? Because there wasn't enough water, or is the right response to say, God bless you for what you're doing? I mean, there's, I, I've heard conversations where people say, you got to be careful that you baptize somebody in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I go, shoot me. I have no desire to be in this conversation with you. These things don't matter. Now, there are, there is one other question that is of some theological significance, and that is who should be baptized? In particular, should you baptize infants? And I, I don't have lots of energy. I don't go public very often with this, and I get pushed by people. Please, I'd like to know what you think. Okay. I've been asked, so let me say, I'm familiar with the arguments that say we should baptize infants. 
It starts with the idea that this looks to be the practice of the early church. Um, it's certainly got a long tenure in the history of the church. And it is in this situation, most people understand that baptism is replacing circumcision as a sign of the covenant. And in a, in a, in a covenant family of God, infants of believers would be baptized and later then confirm that faith for their own. And there's an argument from silence saying that when the jailer and his entire f- household was baptized, that maybe that household included infants. Okay, I, I understand that. It looks to me like the easier, clearer reading of the passage would be that people believe and then they're baptized. Repent and then be baptized. And so that's what I advocate. Believe and be baptized as a, as a public declaration of your identity with Jesus Christ. Now, that immediately leads to the question, well, if I was baptized as an infant, should I be baptized now that I have made a, a declaration of faith in Christ? And I can tell you that that's my situation. I was baptized as an infant. I chose to be baptized as a public declaration of my faith in Christ. It made more sense to me that that was the pattern that I saw in this, uh, in this book. And I'm not going to fight you over it, but I would ask, um, why not be baptized? And I would additionally say, if you are um, in any sense embarrassed by being baptized or hesitant to make this public declaration of your decision to follow Christ, then absolutely you need to do it, uh, right? Then, <laughs> then uh, that, is at, that is clearly the time that you need to step up and to do this. And this is where I go back to this, this card that I have. I, I jumped through some hoops to get this, some expense, some time to, to get this card. People go to all kinds of lengths to get into certain groups. You get hazed to get into a fraternity. You, uh, you, you fill out all kinds of applications to get into colleges. You pay initiation fees to get into country clubs. You go to medical tests to get in certain elite insurance coverage. We do all kinds of things to get into all kinds of categories. Why in the world, when the creator of the universe, who, oh, by the way, died in your place, says, do this, I'm going to show you how to do it, and I'm going to command you to do it, why in the world would you not be baptized? So, Later this summer, in, in just a, six or seven weeks, I guess, we will have this one church one day, our second time. Both campuses, all six services will meet for one service. 10 o'clock, banner day camp, just a couple miles from here. We'll have a worship service, we'll have a baptism, uh, picnic, party. Um, sign up today to be baptized, right? Sign up today in order to be baptized as a public declaration of your uh, decision to follow Christ, that he is your Savior and Lord. Something happens, I can't explain it, but I believe that though we are not washed clean by water, it is the blood of Christ that that sets us free, that um, this is part of what God says, this is a next step in your spiritual path. This is a step of obedience. And so I encourage you 
to sign up. Let me pray for us.